Um, I think I broke my phone. Yeah? It is still recording, I okay. reckon. I want it to be a way where I don't have to keep uh, nudging it. If I put that down there... Yeah. Hang on a minute. There we go. That little bit of noise was me just letting go of the phone. Are you feeling all right? I'm feeling okay. Apart from this terrible cough. Yeah. No, I mean the fact that you've had to let go of your phone. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I mean, I, well, it's, it's within... Yeah, are you sure? It's within what, about... Just take a breath. It's within about 20 or 30 centimetres of me, so... Yeah. I think I'm okay. I'm all right. Okay, just checking in, you know. Yeah. Just in case. I'll be all right. If you need be, I'll just pick it up again. You sure? Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. As long as we've got a plan. We have. It's that cough. No good. But I just thought I'd mention it because, you know, it's possible that I might suddenly have a bit of a coughing fit in the middle of this recording. That's all right. We'll just click it out. I'll edit it out anyway. But, you know, just in case people wonder why was there like a massive clunky edit there, probably because I had a huge coughing fit. Uh, Hun, we do massive clunky edits all over the place. It's part of the The, the style of the thing is... Massive, massive clunky edits. Massive clunky edits. Yeah, I suppose. It comes of working of... No script and too much caffeine. Yes, this this has a we have a high a high uh, rate of MCEs in this program. We have a high rate of clunky edits in this program. Indeed, massive yeah. clunky edits. Yeah, those MCEs you see. Those. I'm just yeah. trying to make it sound a bit more technical, and things sound technical if you come up with three letter abbreviations for them. This sound pretty technical. Yeah. 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 Um, did you want to um, did you want to talk about something? Possibly. You know, in the in the form of a frith cast or something like that. Yeah, go on then. Let's do that. Do you want to do music? I mean, I'm not saying do you want to do the music. Dum, I mean, do you want? I can't. I shouldn't do that because did I mention I've got a cough? You did. Okay. You're fine. Might be better if we let the recording do it. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. It's more likely to be in tune if if somebody else does it and I don't. And I'm less likely to fall over in a, have, with a sudden coughing fit. Also bonus. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. If music be the food of love, get on with it. Does it go here then? I presume so. Okay. I mean, like, after a build-up like that, you've pretty much got it, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what if it's making a grand entrance and it's a bit late? Well, then I suppose well, yeah, we, can, we can wait, you know. I mean, yeah. that, that, that music served us well for, for quite a lot of episodes. Yeah, like, so you know, waiting for Godot, kind of waiting. Waiting for Godot, yeah. Oh, the one with um, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Yes. Yes. Oh my God, yes. The, they they are gods. They are acting gods. Totally acting minor deities because they are Indeed. just like in there. I mean, I, oh obviously God. with with due regard and apologies to Bacchus, of course. Yeah. Bacchus being the god of wine. 
Yeah. And also the god of theatre. People talk about him being the god of wine and they portray him as like some drunken lush like lying about eating grapes and all that kind of thing. Cause yeah, grapes. see, that was kind of the image I had in my brain. Well, grapes, yeah. wine. I'm yeah, not yeah. saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying yeah, we wouldn't do that. He was there. He was there. Anyway, we're 12 minutes in. Um, are we really? We are. So we are. Would you like to talk about... Let's would, do that. Would you like to tell the, the lovely listeners... Well, do you want to introduce us first? Because you do that so well. Hello, lovely listeners. Hello. Welcome around the virtual campfire to Frithcast, episode 85. This is us. Hi. Hello. Hello. You probably meant like who we are actually with names and stuff. I figure it might be helpful. I mean, it's always possible that somebody new might have wandered through and yeah, got, got lost. Yeah, new people. They probably got lost got lost on their way to the Myths podcast or something and ended up here. So Hi, lovely Myths boys. Hello. Hi, lovely new people. I'm Suzanne Martin. I'm a heathen with a head full of mostly knowledge-ish. Uh-huh. Kind of. Uh-huh. And a whole thing for jammy dodgers. Who hasn't? Gotta love a jammy dodger. Who hasn't got a thing for jammy dodgers? Gotta do it. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had a jammy dodger in quite a long time, actually, now I think about it. Yeah, it's because I've eaten them. <gasps> the answer to the mystery. There are no jammy dodgers. There is no spoon. There is no spoon. Well, no, I didn't eat the spoon. The jammy dodgers are the... <laughs> you can make the jammy dodgers bend in your hand because there by manipulating no the dodger. matrix code. Anyway, I am... I'm Kate. Caffeinated. I think he's probably... Caffeinated Kate. (laughs) Caffeinated calf. Yes, I'm Um, that. I am your wife. Yes. Uh, As indeed you are my wife. It's economical that way. It is. Saves on like labels and stuff. It does. Wifelet. Indeed. And I am not a heathen. I'm just kind of a hanger on by virtue of the fact that I'm married to you and therefore tend to be knocking around the house a lot when you do these things. So it's possible. That's basically why I'm here. It's also, you know, kind of because you're a coffee powered <laughs> druid and you you also got a head full of stuff. Yeah, it's the wrong stuff. Anyway, it's different stuff. It's not wrong. It's different stuff. No knowledge. Okay. Is, no knowledge is wrong knowledge. No, I'm going to leave that one alone. What would you like to talk about? Well, today, lovely listeners. Frithcast 85. 85. We'd like to talk... We've been doing this for 85 episodes. Plus a couple of specials. A couple of specials and things, yeah. Between as well. So we'd like to talk to you today. I want to have a bit of a discussion with you, lovely Kate, about the runic inscriptions that we find at Mayshow. I know them. You know them. We've been to see them. Would you like me to tell... People where Maze How is. Please tell people, lovely listeners around the virtual campfire, with the warm knees and the drink of choice and settled in. And the marshmallows. And the marshmallows. Are you sure? Me, yeah. Oh. Oh. Not any yeah. of you lot. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> lovely wifelet, please tell the lovely listeners where is Maze How? Maze How is a Neolithic. Neolithic. Maze How is a Neolithic chambered cairn. Yep. Corbel tomb, yeah. A corbel tomb, sorry. Uh, a a burial mound, basically. Yep. Which is located in Orkney. Yep. For those not entirely familiar with the layout of the British Isles, Orkney is a small archipelago, a group of islands off the very north tip of Scotland. If you look at the map, you will find two groups of islands. Um, the one nearest 
to Scotland is Orkney and then above that to the north is Shetland. So we're looking at Orkney, we're looking at the Orkney mainland, which is the name they give to the largest of the islands, um, yeah. because it is the main island of the, of the, of the group. And there is a, um, there is the Maze House is, a, is a, a tomb which is located on mainland. Orkney mainland. Um, yeah, when they're talking about mainland, when you're in Orkney, if there's people around you talking about mainland, they're not talking about the north coast of Scotland. No. They're talking about the big Orkney mainland, the, the place with the most land, the largest island in the Orkneys, um, where their capital city Kirkwall is. Yeah. Which has about 10,000 people in it. A very nice cathedral. It's, it's gorgeous. It's a lovely place. It's one of the two big towns. Uh, what do you call them? Settlements? Oh, yeah, I mean, the the Kirkwall is formerly a city. Yes, um, it's just a very, very small but city. But it's quite a small one. Um, <laughs> so you've got Kirkwall, you've got Stromness, which is off to the uh, west, and to the southeast there's uh, another, I say a little place, it's a, a harbour, a harbour sort of village called St. Ma um, Margaret's Hope. So you basically take the ferry from Scotland, you go over there. Over the Scaries. Over, the, over some <clears throat> absolutely mad currents. Uh, in the seas between Scotland and Orkney. Mm. Um, some very, very strange waters there. And uh, yeah, you get to Orkney, which is which is absolutely brimming with Neolithic archaeology. Yeah. I was trying to think like ruins, not exactly ruins, it's... it's... Ness of Brodger. Yeah, you've got a stone uh, circle up there. The, 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 the um, Ring of Brodger up there, which is utterly glorious. Magnificently huge ring of, of quite tall standing stones. Yeah. Tomb of the Eagles is up there. Yes. That's just breathtakingly amazing. Yeah. And up there as well is Maze Howe, mm. which is a cobbled Neolithic tomb. Mm. And you and I have been lucky enough to go and stand inside Maze Howe. We have. And it's basically a huge mound of earth. And how you get into it is you have to almost bend double and sort of shuffle walk down a stone-lined passageway. It's, it's very, about waist height. I was going to say it's very, 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 very low. Very low passage. Very, very low entranceway to get into it. And once you get inside, the room is huge. Mm. And it's corbelled, which means it has an arched roof, like a curved roof. Oh, is that what the corbel means? I think so, yeah. I didn't know that. I think so. Okay. And in the original, there are three little side alcoves one directly opposite the entrance where you come in and one to each side. And they're like Three little... little side alcoves from school, are we? No? Maybe not. Okay. Okay. There are three little side alcoves, but they're kind of like a little cubbyhole at waist height almost. Three little side alcoves for the Elven Kings under the sky? I don't know whether that quite works. Okay. I mean, we can keep trying it. <laughs> I'm not saying no, I'm not discouraging, you can do your thing, but not quite sure either of those quite works just yet. Oh, fine, I was just trying to inject a little bit of theatre and what's it into the whole thing. Okay, fine. Go on. So, <laughs> Mace How. Yes. It's a Neolithic cobbled tomb, which means it's about 2,800 years before Common Era. Or before Christ, if you prefer. Before Christ, if you prefer. 
depending on where your thing is for dating. Mm-hmm. Both basically mean the same thing. They are it's pretty Neolithic, much equivalent. New Stone Age. Yeah. It's a really beautiful piece of architectural engineering. Yeah. Especially for that time period, it's just a bit gorgeous. And once you're inside, it is quite tall as well. It's quite, yeah. a, quite it's quite a space in, in inside there. I mean, we're not. I'm not. It's not the TARDIS. You know, it's, it's not. It's not like bigger on the inside, but it's. It's not, but I would probably hazard a guess at what twenty meters square. It's a big room. All the way around, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. It's I don't know. We'll get we'll get some dimensions. I'm sure yeah. we can find some dimensions, but it's it's. 20, like 20 square metres. Yeah. Yes, quite it's, possibly, yeah. And you can't put your hand up and touch the top of the ceiling. Barely. Way too high. I don't, I don't think you can. No. Not I'm trying to remember. It trouble is, it has been a while since I've visited it, and you end up with this, you end up sort of trying to remember, you know, like the spaces and, and, mm. and dimensions of things. And it's like, you, you try and remember it. It's like, because you, you sort of go in there and you're kind of awestruck by it. Yeah. So it seems bigger in your memory. Seems a it lot, yeah, it was somewhere that that awestruck me as well when yeah. I went into when when we went into it, and so the tomb itself is hugely old, mm. but in there is a collection of Viking graffiti that has been scratched into the stone walls. Now there are around thirty-ish, give or take. There's a 30 to 35 inscriptions and it's not very clear because some of them kind of run into each other and others kind of right over each other and you're not quite sure which bit belongs to which inscription so most records will give you between 30 and 35 inscriptions give or take I've seen a few of them (laughs) yes so why are there Viking inscriptions in a corbel tomb in Orkney this is where it gets really from fun. Five thousand years ago. This is really, really, really where it gets fun. Okay. Because every now and again here on Frithcast, we'll talk about one of the sagas, and we've dipped into a few of them by now. Mm-hmm. And there's a saga that details the history of the people of Orkney, and it's called the Orkneyinga Saga. Indeed. It's nice and easy to remember. And this is because Orkney, although it is now. Part, of, part of modern day Scotland. Yeah. Orkney is has always been culturally very much more Norse. Norwegian. Yeah. Uh, and Scandinavian. And they even now they have a they have a very distinct uh, sense of their own uh, heritage, if you like, which is not strict they they tend not to think of themselves as quite Scottish. No. They don't uh, They're all they're they're Orkney. Orcadian. They're Orcadians. Yeah. And uh, it's very very much a sort of Scandinavian influenced. Yeah. So you've got there are two accounts in the opening saga, chapter ninety three if you want to go be a bookworm, which is all good. <laughs> and there are two accounts of men sheltering in a tomb that they know is on Orkney mainland and they call it like the Orkney tomb. Okay. They know the name of it mm. before they even go there because they write it down. So there are two accounts, and there's either the account of an earl and his men sheltering in the tomb from bad weather, right? which you've got to imagine, North Sea, lots of bad weather, and going up and over the skerries, pretty nasty. And particularly given, I mean, obviously 
I, we think of bad weather. I mean, we've we've been in we've been in Orkney when there's been bad weather. Yes. It, you just get in the car and drive home. It's it's fine. Yeah. Scott, get your big coot out. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's going to be very different when you're, you know, several hundred years ago. Or, or, yeah. You know, no central uh, heating. No double glazing. Yeah. No nothing. Wind's going to come and take your roof off, and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. So if you if you've got somewhere you can shelter, you're going to go and shelter. Yeah. So. There is one explanation of an earl and his men sheltering from bad weather in a tomb. And it says it's something like it is the 14th day of Christmas, year 1153. Oh, wow. It's fairly precise. That is precise. Yeah. And he says basically they take shelter from the storm in a tomb, in a, in a, a known tomb burial, ground, uh, burial mound on the island. Yeah. And once the storm has passed, they come out. Two of the men have gone insane. Oh, crikey. And they're slowed down getting back to their ship because their crewmates have they're gone to completely carry these, these... insane. Yeah. So that's one account. The second account is Roggenwald and his crew on a pilgrimage, what they call a crusade. They call them the Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem men. Okay. And he leaves for his pilgrimage in 1150. So he could have potentially gone and visited the tomb on his way out with his crew, uh-huh. or he could have visited it on his way back in 1154. So and, it's pretty precise. And is he was he somebody who lived in Orkney or I mean where uh, no they were travelling to the Holy Lands. So presumably from Norway from Iceland from somewhere up in the north of yeah, my God, I was, I was, I was they, like, what? they decide to make a stop off in Orkney at some point, and then either on their way there or, or on their way back. Yeah, I mean they can work their way down the islands and then down the coast of down the east coast of Britain. I guess yeah. I was just trying, I was just trying to work out why if you were going from sort of Scandinavia to the Holy Land, but if you then again if you're going from Iceland, yeah, of course you're going to go stops off on the uh, Shetlands and the Orkneys on the way. The GIUK gap. Yes. Down that, uh, not yeah. the Gingwa gap, the other gap. No, no. Greenland, Iceland, UK. It's, yes. It's, um, <laughs> always a, considered a strategic bottleneck in the Cold War. Which um, is why they dumped a shed load of like submarines and things in there. They had they had chains of sonar boys That's why and sonar you got Churchill barrier. No, the S- Churchill barrier was from the Second World uh, from the Second World War. Second World War. Okay. Um, and the because Orkney was a. Just south of Kirkwall, there's there's a, a a large body of water called Scapa Bay. Yes, and it's really now nice shallow bay. Yeah, well, yeah. it now nowadays there's a there's a little island sort of in the middle called Flotter, mm. and Flotter has got an oil refinery on it. So Scapa Bay now is quite heavy with tanker traffic coming through mm. because they'll they'll bring tankers in, they'll load them up from Flotter, and then they'll sail off to go and deliver their oil mm. or whatever. But back in the war, um, in both wars actually, Orkney was a quite an important strategic harbour for the North Sea. So you would keep your warships and things in there, and you'd be able to sort of refit them and stuff. It was it was like a safe harbour. And but it's it basically there are chain there's like a chain of like a, a sort of almost horseshoe shape mm. of islands, sort of the south coast of mainland, and then a series of islands that go down the east side, which complete which almost completely enclose Scapa Bay. Mm. But obviously they were they're they're a group of islands, so there are channels between them. Which if you are sneaky enough, you could get a submarine through there, and you could hit these 
ships at anchor mm. in the harbour. So during the war, during the war, they built, they basically filled in all those gaps between the islands mm. with massive, massive rocks, just barriers of massive rocks. And those are the Churchill barriers. Yeah. And now they've got roads along them so you can drive from one island, just drive down the to island the chain. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got Neolithic Hubble tomb. Mm. We've got three dates that are fairly close. You've got 1150, 1153 or 1154. So it's within four years okay. for two potential expeditions mm. coming down. Now, when I say graffiti, what it is is like uh you might say graffiti is like unauthorized writing okay you might see it spray cans on buildings or on fences it's writing that the original builder didn't intend to be there yeah so when we're calling this viking graffiti it's not something that the original Neolithic builders ever intended to be in no. there but you have this collection of between 30 to 35 inscriptions depending on how you read them mm -hmm. and in those 30-ish, give or take, inscriptions, there are 27 personal names. Wow. 27. Half of those, half of those 30 inscriptions, so about 14 or 15 of them, are just basically the equivalent to so-and-so was here. Yeah. So-and-so carved these runes. So-and-so is the bestest rune carver ever, ever, ever. I you see this is this is something I love is the fact that you know nowadays graffiti will be all sorts of things graffiti is is um you know it's often political slogans it's often you know personal names personal names uh, you you will always get the, the the such and such was here and all that yeah. kind of thing but you'll get all sorts of other all sorts of other things as well things that are important to the people in the area so you'll get sort of territory markers and stuff you'll get um artwork yeah, you know, people will will come and they'll do they'll do poetry and things in in, in graffiti. You know, if you have uh, sort of gang activity in in the area, you often find it's associated with particular groups that are belonging Markers, in, in yeah. this this area, or particular people that are prominent in that area. Or you'll find, um, like I say, political slogans. Uh, uh, you know complaints about the, the party that's in power or yeah you know that kind of thing. And there's this whole range of stuff, and I love the fact that back then. Quite a lot of it was about who was good at writing. Yeah. Because of course it wasn't. I mean, we take it for granted that that most people we can, can write. Most people can write. It's just yeah. a, a normal thing that you learn relatively early on, and you get on with it. Whereas for them, it was such a an important thing that yeah. relatively few people could do and do well. Well, it, about fourteen or so of these inscriptions out of thirty, so half of them mm. are basically so and so wrote these runes. Yeah. Or so and so. It's not necessarily that they use the word to write or wrote. They say carved. Okay. So it's not scratched in or incised or painted. It's so-and-so carved, these runes. Okay. The names that we've got, 27 personal names. Most of them are recognisably Viking names mm. of some description. You've got two of them that are very recognisably not Viking names. Okay. Two of them are very recognisably Christian names. You have Simon and Benedict. Oh, wow. Written into these inscriptions. You have two women's names written into these inscriptions. Right. So Ingeborg, the fair widow. Now, I happen to know a thing about Ingeborg, but go on. Yeah. So this is the one 
they make an illusion and it's like um, an on, a, a double entendre. They basically say lots of people have to stoop really low to get in here. And she's a very showy woman, a very showy person. Even very showy people are brought low to get in here. Okay. So it's like, it's not only saying do you have you have to bend down to get in through the entrance, but it's also saying even showy people can be disgraced. Yeah. So, yeah, Ingeborg does not come out of this exchange well. <laughs> the other one is Ingingerth. Oh, was I thinking of Ingingerth then? Ingingerth is the most beautiful woman in the, the world. The most beautiful woman in the world. And we know this because there is a picture of her. Well, there's a picture... That inscription is next to the picture of a big slavering dog, <laughs> dog monster. And you're just like, really? <laughs> and we're not 100% sure what kind of slavering dog monster it is. We're not, no. it's Because uh, it's somewhere between a dog and a dragon. It is. It's, it's not pretty. Which seems to be a thing. <laughs> Because I think we were talking when we were talking about Osberg, the Osberg boat burial, yeah. and we, we we were speaking of the boat, the boat at fantastic oh uh, Gokstad. Gokstad. the tiller animal at Gokstad. Uh yes, carved on the tiller. Yeah, Again, there's a lovely. there's a great big slavering thing that nobody can work out what kind Pretty of with teeth. What kind of animal it's supposed to be? Dog, horse, yeah. dragon, whatever, something something like this. And to be honest, the more I think about it, the more I think it's basically one of them things off Ghostbusters, isn't it? Yeah, it's critter <laughs> basically. So, yeah, there is a critter. <laughs> Next to the inscription, Ingingerth is the most beautiful of all women. And you're just like, yeah, shade. Shade. So, serious shade happening in these Viking inscriptions. <laughs> There's another inscription on there that is... It, it tends to be left out of the family guidebooks, let's put it that way. Oh, okay. I don't know about this one. You'll know about this one. Do I? Okay. Mm, yeah. A lot, of the, a lot of the, the family-friendly guidebooks leave this out. Go on. But it's one that says Helgi carved, presumably, these runes. Yeah. Thorny... Well, let's just say he did something. You're going to have to do better than I that. I can't! <laughs> it's a family show! So Helgi... Helgi... Carved. Helgi carved. Thorny... Well, let's just say it begins with F. Okay. Yeah. But there's so Written little. On... But there's so little space in there. Yeah. Just I. Uh, yeah. Well. Also, it's a tomb. It is a tomb. I mean, I know people. There are people who, you know, but. Yeah, it's a tomb. Okay. It's inside a tomb. All right. There are two mentions of what they call Jerusalem men, crusaders, which is why. They think it might be the pilgrimage expedition that mm -hmm. leaves in 1150 and gets back in 1154. So somewhere between them either going out or coming back, they stop at Maysow and Carve. Okay. So they call them the Jerusalem men in the inscriptions. And they've certainly got these two very Christianized first names. Simon and Benedict. Simon and Benedict in their number. Now, whether those are Vikings who have converted and taken Christian names... Or whether they're Christian slaves, mm -hmm. or whether they're Christians that are going on the pilgrimage, we don't know. No. Could be any number of social combinations. There's two mentions of a great treasure that is taken from the tomb and carried off 
and removed and reburied to the northwest, says this inscription. Right, first things first, has anybody found it yet? <laughs> I don't know, I don't think so. <laughs> I only northwest ask. west of Maysell, there ain't that much land there, you There's know? quite a bit. <laughs> I know a couple of places. I know, I know a particular place that I can't name on a family show. <laughs> um... So, there's two mentions of women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not particularly... Um, not complimentary. <laughs> not complimentary mentions of women, but there are two mentions of women. There are these two Christianized first names out of this whole group of 27 personal names. Yeah. There are two mentions of crusaders, or as they in the inscriptions there are Jerusalem men, and there are two mentions of a great treasure that was removed from the tomb and taken to the northwest and buried which as soon as lockdown is over <laughs> right you're up there as soon as lockdown is over and scotland let english people up there again <laughs> right because <clears throat> yeah that's 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 a thing at the moment but as soon as that happens i mean did i just call myself an english person possibly okay people from england yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go and find that treasure <laughs> because it must be... I mean, that's that's got to be... That's like a in, whole Indiana Jones thing going on there. Well, th- there are a couple of theories. And one theory is that they found grave goods from the Neolithic burial. Okay. At which point, there ain't going to be a whole lot of shinies and it's not going to be a great treasure. No. And the Vikings are putting in their very, very blunt, dark, dry humour. I mean, they've called the two women and that they've listed yep. that... So maybe their their great treasure isn't, and they've just like let's put them on a treasure hunt, lads. Watch this; it's going to be great. Maybe they maybe they thought to themselves, you know, in a few thousand years or a couple yeah. of thousand years, there's going to be people digging through this place, and they're going to want to know what was in here. We'll just write this up, and then that'll completely baffle. Hold my mead and watch this. Yeah. <laughs> so, either they didn't find anything of the Neolithic burial and decided to write about a great treasure, or they buried one of their number in the tomb. Oh. Dead, I left. Yeah, and, a, you know, a great Viking warrior was buried in the tomb in an earlier visit, and when the later Vikings came back, because this has got potentially three dates. Yeah, yeah. So what happens if there's not one visit but two? Okay. So in the earlier visit, one of the Viking number die and they bury him in, in the tomb yeah. and put some of the inscriptions up. And in one of the later visits, a second Viking party comes in, finds his kit, nicks it from there and goes and reburies it and writes another set of inscriptions. But... We can't tell. But though... But though... We can't tell, but... If... Vikings find a buried Viking. Yeah. And he's not somebody that they particularly want to be reverential towards. Mm-hmm. So they're basically just going to go through his pockets and look for loose change. Quite possibly. Right? Yeah. So they do that. They nick his kit, take his shoes, sword, shield, anything like that, axe, whatever. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to take sword, shield, axe and all that and bury them. No. They're going to go take them and use them, are they not? Yeah. I mean, they're bound to find somebody they need to kill in the next week or two. It's quite possible. So, you know. I'm not um, saying they're basically just Klingons, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, of course you're not. So, 
I want to pause here for a minute because runes aren't a language in themselves. They are a way of encoding speech sounds. Mm -hmm. Like our Roman alphabet. Yep. You have a particular shape on a paper will create a particular speech sound. And you group those together, you make groups of speech sounds which create words. Okay. So the runes aren't a language in themselves. Mm. So when you're translating runes, you've kind of got to have a good guess at what language they're written in, what language they translate to, because that will help you understand what the inscription is. Just as with Roman text, it could be written in English, yeah. or the same letters could be used to write French or German or yeah. what have you. Yeah. Mostly Latin. Yeah, I mean the same Latinish. The same letters give or take the occasional accent and, and squiggle and squiggle. Yeah, what have you? But yeah, even Turkish. Turkish. Yeah. Maltese. Ooh. Has like ages of little lines through now it. Now you're things. talking. Yeah. Okay, so even though we've got these three very specific dates from the Orkneyinga saga, mm. there's another piece of evidence that matches into those, and that's when you translate the runes themselves. The linguistics of the inscription, they're all very, very uniform-sized runes. They're all, all, yes, they change in shape, but they're not like a, a child trying to write for the first or second time where they're all wobbly. Yeah, yeah. They might kind of go smaller and bigger, but it's a very steady, uniform kind of size change. It's not like there's one rune little and then the next one's really big and then the next one's really little. They're very uniform in, in how they present. And they're mostly on a straight line. Okay, well, that's, that's not bad going. They're mostly in straight straight directions. <clears throat> but when you translate the runes from Mazehow, the linguistics that they're using to write the inscriptions in match 12th century Norway. Okay. And the, the patterns of the word formation match the Icelandic manuscripts around the year 1150 ah. which is absolutely bang on when the opening saga says these men i broke into a tomb there's something there's something really appealing about the idea that you've got this old text mm -hmm. that says these dudes arrived in this place and they settled in this. They sheltered in this tomb for a bit, and then they then they carried on, you know. And it makes reference to these people and what they did. And then you actually go and you find that tomb, and you find it's got actual inscriptions in it, and you realise they did actually. Holy did. wow! I'm looking at the words that those people carved. Yeah. That I only know from this book. I just think there's something amazing about that. It is a bit of a mind mind kind of expanding moment, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's kind of like. You go to Maze Howe and you walk inside that tomb <clears throat> and you stand there in the cold air and your eyes adjust to the, the, the dark that's around you. They've got it lit up, but very, very subtly. Mm. They won't allow camera flash in there. No. They have it lit very, very gently. And you get to see on the walls the graffiti that was written around... 1150 yeah including including there is one that we haven't discussed yet and i don't want to preempt if you were coming to it no no i'm yeah no i'm good carry on but there Do is the, the one that we haven't discussed yet and it's my favorite one in there 
All right. And it's an inscription. And I forget. I say it's my favourite, but that said, I still forget the name of the person who did it. Okay. I want to say... I, can't, I don't know. I couldn't even hazard a guess as to what the name is. But it's a set of it's a set of runes which is carved above the door. Yeah. So you're bending in. You're kind of bent double to get down this little, very narrow passageway. Yeah. You then finally stand up in the tomb and turn immediately round so that the entranceway is kind of at your knees and waist height. Yeah. And you look up. And you find carved into the rock. Yeah. A a good way above your head. Some wisdom. Yes. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Some wisdom, wisdom courtesy <laughs> of yeah. a gentleman by the name of. Can you remember? I can't. I no, can't remember. I can't. Offhand. I'll go and find it for you, lovely listeners. We will throw links into the description as we usually do. Go and have a look at these fabulous things for yourself. Pick a good Brian. Viking Viking name, Brian. Brian, Brian will do. So good Viking, good Viking Brian. And uh, Brian has decided to share with the world for all poster for posterity, for all of history, his innermost thoughts about what he was doing at the time. And he has written Brian wrote these runes up high. I know. It's just There's a there's a beauty to it. Very deep, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of you just need a minute. There is a beauty to it. Yeah. You kind of just need to take a moment just to... And we know Brian. Yeah. Because of that thing that he did. He did. That day. Yeah. On a stormy night. <laughs> at Maze Howe on Orkney. In Maze Howe on Orkney. All 27 of them end up writing their personal names into the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I say we know Brian. Them. I, I say we know Brian. I can't remember his name, but we'll have it for the... We'll have it for the thing. We'll have it for the notes. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's not the only place that you find Viking graffiti. You find Viking graffiti on the floor of the Hagia Sophia. Scratched into the marble right. floor around the bottom of a pillar. Because the Varangian Guard were... Yeah. Were... Late uh, Viking. Vi Viking hires, weren't yeah, they? they were Varangian Guard. So you can imagine this guy in a very, very bored ceremony or service or something's going on in there and he takes his knife out and scratches his name yeah. into the bottom of, like, round the base of a pillar on the marble floor. Terrible thing to do to your knife. But... Oh, yeah, but yeah, boredom. Boredom. So <laughs> you've got that, you've got the, is it the Piraeus Lion? That's got a Viking inscription on it and it's it's graffiti in the fact that it wasn't ever intended to hold a runic inscription no. like the Hagia Sophia, like Maze How, they're just putting these little footprints yeah. into the world, and it's the only thing in some cases that we will ever know about that person is their name and that they were there, and I love that. So, lovely listeners, go and have a look at the awesome stuff from Maze How. There is, if you really want to get enthusiastic about it, there is a degree thesis on it i will drop the link it's open access you can read it to your heart's content there are also several other sites and papers that i'm going to list in mean, the description you haven't got to sneak your way onto jstor or something to uh... 
No, you don't need it for this one. It's open access. Oh, nice. So I'm going to put the site link up. Go and download a copy of this paper for yourself. Have a good, long, thorough read. It's all about the inscriptions at Maze How. And lovely listeners, if you would like to find us online, you can find me. My name is Suzanne Martin. I'm on Facebook and I'm also on Twitter at Geetha in Jeans. And if you want to find me, I do occasionally use uh, social media, Facebook and Twitter, uh, as Kate Colburn. But more reliably, I'm at my dreadful, dreadful uh, <laughs> kind of blog substitute uh, at uh, glassrain.net. Okay. Additionally, if you would like, come and find us in our new home for Fredcast. Indeed. So if you come and find Gathering Jeans on Podbean, you'll find the new virtual home for Fridcast. We're getting old episodes up as soon as we can. If you would like to come and join the new Shiny Page group, there is a Facebook page for Fridcast. Fridcast Pod. And there is a Frith Chat for those who would like to come and have a natter to other lovely listeners and Kate and I pop in occasionally around the virtual campfire. So just come and find the Frith Chat. Frith Chat. <laughs> there. We should have called it something easier, shouldn't we? We should. Um, come and find Brian. Frith. <laughs> come and find the Brian attached to Frithcast. <laughs> Lovely listeners, we'll hopefully see you around the virtual campfire in the meantime. And if not, we will talk to you again in episode 86. See you then. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.